ride with me in my foul life. Podcast world, what's going on? Chad Belding, the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much for the support. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Badge Caps. For all of your hat needs, if you want a new innovative cap design, check out what they're doing with their plasma cutters. They're down in Paris, Texas. They're also the owners of our, our bodyguard bumper sponsor. And what they're doing is taking the same materials that they're building their bumpers out of, and they are developing logos on their plasma cutters, and they're bolting them onto different style hats, pro fit hats, snapback hats, Velcro hats, whatever you want, Badge Caps can supply it. So check them out at badgecaps.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends in Roseville, California at the California Waterfowl Association. It doesn't matter where you live in the country, it would be a good idea and greatly appreciated for you to become involved as either a volunteer or just a member, a yearly member, a life member, whatever you can afford. $35 a year gets you a decal, the magazine that is bi-monthly, and all of the newsletters, email updates, and everything that's going on in the state of California and what the CWA is fighting for, whether it's it's politics, water rights, farmers' rights, hunters' rights, shooter rights, getting women involved in the outdoors, kids involved in the outdoors, their awesome egg salvage program. I, like I said, it doesn't matter where you live. Everything starts in the west and moves eastward. So if you're a duck hunter, a conservationist, a goose hunter, doesn't matter what animals you pursue and try to harvest, the CWA is fighting for our rights. So look them up at CaliforniaWaterfowlAssociation.org and become a member. $35 is all it takes. Slap that decal on your your truck or your trailer and show your support fly that flag for the cwa because trust me behind the scenes they're doing way more than we can talk about or ever imagine so on today's episode we're going to continue that theme of the cwa the california waterfowl association i have two guests today on microphone you've heard rock merlo's voice on this podcast you've seen his face and heard his voice on episodes of the foul life he is the chairman of the board of the California Waterfowl Association as we go into 2020. And today we also have Miss Mandy Augusta from the great city of Los Angeles, California, now living in Davis, California, where she attends UC Davis. And she is part of the California Waterfowl Association's new hunter program. And that's what we've been establishing the last couple years and experiencing the last couple days being up in California and some great duck blinds and having some great laughs and creating stories and memories. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what the California Waterfowl Association is doing to get new blood into this lifestyle because we can't depend on it to do it by itself. We have to work at this, guys. We have to create programs and mentorship programs that will introduce this great lifestyle to new people. Rocky, talk to me a little bit about where you've seen the CWA develop their new hunter program, what it means to be a part of it. Give us a little of the backstory on it and what's going on with the the CWA and their new hunter program. Well, just from experience, um, I started with uh, uh, youth and education at CWA back in uh, the late 90s, right around 99, 1999, 1998. And I was working with this woman. Uh, She was the chair of Youth and Ed uh, for that committee, uh, Judy Yost. And so I was helping her. We had a few hunting camps up in Northern California at that time. I think there was three a year that were going on and Judy was um, running them. Uh, And now today, um, the, you know, 19, 20 years later, we have um, a a very extensive program throughout uh, California. Um, We have them from uh, adult level 
uh, beginning hunter camps to the college level camps like uh, we met Mandy at the UC Davis camp at Bird Haven um, and then all the way down to beginning hunters uh, in the youth division which is all the way down to five six years old and we'll have them we also have uh, family camps um, there in the soon marsh which uh, we have probably three to four of those a year uh, at Grizzly Island Ranch a CWA property and now we have um, Sanborn Slough and Butte Creek Island Ranch uh, where we have um, youth and uh, family camps. Uh, our outreach um, is probably touching, I, would, I was just recently told, about 12,000 kids a year uh, through CWA um, in various classroom and camp education platforms. So it's really grown considerably since the late 90s. Um, and like I said, we were fortunate enough to meet Mandy two years ago out at Bird Haven. Paul Bonderson puts on that camp with CWA. Um, and that's an amazing camp out there. Um, I, I can't remember, Mandy, what do we have about, was there about 30? 15. 15. Students, there was yeah. 15 students um, from UC Davis. Um, and there was, uh, there was a couple professors there. And uh, there was quite a few people that day. But before we get to the camp, the actual physical camp, how does it happen on campus? Where are you at? Is there a flyer that's posted on a door? Are you in a biology class and they, they drop a little hint that this could be going on and your eyes open? You're like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. How does it happen when you're sitting there in campus? Yeah, so I'm in, or I was in the uh, Wildlife Fish and Conservation Program uh, on campus. And John Eadie's the professor that ran the program. He's our waterfowl professor. Um, and he would send an email our listserv whether it's the college or it's our actual program we'll send out emails to students um, about job offerings uh, announcements of anything that's going on and so this wasn't an announcement or sometimes it was talked about in classes Uh, I heard about it from a class because I had developed a relationship with John Eady and so um, he was talking to me about it and I was like I think this is such a great opportunity and I I had never gone hunting before so I was I got really excited about it um so I applied for it, and it's an, it's actually a pretty, not intense application, but it's very competitive because you have 50 to 60 students trying to come in into this and trying to get a part of it, but we only have about 15 spots that they can actually fill. Um, Any idea how they chose? <clears throat> yeah, so they talked about um, they made it a priority for seniors because juniors had an opportunity to do it again um, or apply again the next year, but seniors had a really high priority um, it was often like if they saw that you could be a part of those agencies that were going. So like we had people from CWA that were there uh, guiding or um, any type of like state or federal agency uh, workers were there. And if they knew that that was something you were interested in and you were someone that could be there and communicate well with them, um, they wanted you to go. And especially if they saw like a strong passion for you and if you were interested in wildlife and uh, especially waterfowl. They made that a high priority for those students. So you, at that time, you're a senior, you're a junior. I was a senior. So you're eight, you're about 20, 21 years old at this time, 22? Uh, 23. 23 years old, senior in college, and you had never, ever been hunting before this. Mm-mm. You you came from a family that owned guns. Yes. They shot, they might have <laughs> plinked around a little bit. Yeah. But up until this point in your life, at 23 years old, when this application is put in your hands, or you go online to fill it out, you had never aimed a gun at an animal. 
No, definitely not. I and it was funny too because I didn't find out until a few years after I started hunting that I my grandfather had hunted and he actually hunted in Klamath and I didn't find that out until we went out there and started hunting and he's like, oh yeah, I've been there before. Now I it just blew my mind because it's just for some weird reason it was something we never talked about in my family. And I don't know if it was just because I was a female in the fam like the granddaughter in the family or if it was because um, there did, we didn't have a lot of members in our family that did it. I'm not sure. Um, but my family is mostly filled with like fishermen is, was our main thing that we did with like my brother and my dad. And you, you fill out this application or is this, what's your psyche doing? Is it a nervosa? Are you, are you feeling timid towards it? Or are you like, I'm going full bore or are you just like, I'm going to go dip my toes in the water and check this out. Or were you kind of, were you nervous about getting out there and, and holding the gun and shooting a gun at an animal or the, the entire process of getting into the blind and everything that was going to take place? Yeah, I was definitely nervous about, I'd held guns before, but I was really nervous about shooting like an animal because I remember that pintail that I shot when I was with you. I, It was weird for me because I'm used to going into classes and you have all the birds that are taxidermied. And so they're stiff and they feel way different than a bird that you had just killed. Like it's something that's, it's, it's just a weird feeling. It's alive. It was an animal that was like just alive and now it's dead and it's in your hands and you're like, well, this is, it's just weird. Um, it was something definitely to get used to, but you get to, you get used to it pretty fast and just knowing why you're doing it and not doing it just for the thrill of it. Like you're, you're going out there to, for the food and to experience it and to help with like conservation that, that made it a lot. It helped with it a lot more. So like, I didn't feel as bad about it. Like you feel bad, but you respect the animal and it's just, it was a satisfying, but weird feeling. It was it was interesting, especially says, being older. Yeah, and that's when you hear the words respect the animal rock or respect the resource. The resource that we're talking about in this instance are the the ducks and geese that inhabit different places in the world and travel the different flyways. This one being the Pacific Flyway. You being, you know, what you've achieved in your career in waterfowling and the CWA and your outfitting company uh, to me, it's a really big deal respecting the resource. And I don't mean, I, I don't mean just volunteering or putting money into it, but everything down to how, what she, what Mandy's touching on is what happens when that freshly killed animal is in your hands and the respect that we show for that animal after the death of, um, of preserving, you know, what that animal meant to the ecosystem. You know, does that make sense to you? Like to be respecting the resources is a really big deal to me. And I've touched on that in a lot of episodes of this podcast and the Fowl Life TV show. There's a certain way to show that respect for the resource and the birds. Do you agree with that? And do you stress that with your guides, with your hunters, with your outfitting program, that we are going to show the ultimate amount of compassion and respect for these animals that we're, we, we're not sugarcoating, we're killing them. Yeah, it all wraps into the um, the whole narrative that we're conservationists, okay? And, um, you know, and that would be the technical term to it, and everything falls underneath of it. Um, you know, the resource um, without hunters and folks like Mandy at the UC system and the state college systems, you know, taking classes to understand um, the systems um, that— uh, waterfowl live within the ecosystems um, 
you know, they're, they're always trying to improve how we can be more efficient in managing the resource. So, you know, it, it, you know, waterfowl need, you know, several things. They need land, food, and water. And, um, and, and, and that in California is constantly at jeopardy, okay, of being lost. Um, the state, uh, you know, they, they try to do an okay job at managing the resource and the feds. But as population growth increases, um, it puts more pressure on the resource and the water and the, and the land that the, that the ducks and geese and shorebirds need. Um, you know, and, and we passed these laws in California and a lot of the ones that have been recently passed are non-science-based laws and, um, which is shifting water, um, from the, the birds ecosystems to population centers. Um, that is what, um, we're challenged with today is growth. Um, and so it is a fine balance. Um, because uh, humans need water and, you know, land as well, you know, as we increase our populations. But we have to be sensitive to the, to the wildlife. Um, and, you know, I do not know a hunter uh, or fisherman in my group or network that is not conscientious of the resource um, and, and what it needs. Um, we may hunt, you know, ducks for 70 days, um, but we're, we're being conservationists for 365 days. Um, that is what um, we need to get people out there that um, don't look highly upon us. We need to get them to understand that. It, it just is, it never is ending. Um, when I chose to um, work with DU in the 90s and then move into CWA and focus more on a California base, um, with California Waterfowl Association, I literally am, you know, since the early 2000, I'm working to try to protect and improve, um, you know, wildlife habitat in California. Uh, I fight for it today, um, water for like up at Klamath. I try to educate and help what I can with kids like Mandy and her uh, other student friends and trying to educate them on really what we're here for. Um, I think they know the challenges in the future. Um, it's the elephant in the room. Most of the time, uh, California is a challenging state, but you said it at the beginning of the podcast. Um, what happens on the West coast and mainly California? Um, we're like a little Island over here. And, um, the, the, the bureaucracy in this state dictates a lot of times what the, um, those that are against what we believe in, they test the waters here. And if, if, if they get a win here, then they try to carry it into the center part of the U.S. or to the East Coast. And that's scary, you know, because as you all see, so often you watch what happens here in California um, we pass some laws that just really make no sense. And, um, and then we find out later that it was a blunder and now we've done some damage. Um, whereas, um, the hunters and the fishermen, they're in the resource or they're exposed to it. Um, like I said, 365 days out of the year 
folks like myself and my friends that are in agriculture, um, we're in it. I mean, we're in a day and night. We understand it. We understand about how life cycles within a growing ecosystem. And, um, you know, you get, you don't get to make many mistakes with a living thing. We all know that. And, um, you know, I, I, Mandy is doing work with the salmon right now and uh, smolt in rice fields. You know, UC Davis um, got a grant and they're trying to propagate salmon smolt in rice fields just outside of Davis and then release them back into the river, river system in the Sacramento River system. And they ha- they're a lot electronically chipped. And they're, they're, they're tracking their migration out in the o- ocean and back into the system. That's amazing. That's what we're doing with the ducks today as well, you know, with electronic tracking. And we're getting a lot of really good data. Um, but a lot of it is coming from the students of today. Um, and um, it, it's up to us, Chad, uh, our generation, um, to help them along. And to get more involved uh, with protecting and uh, the actual the actual ecosystems that the resources live in, mainly the waterfowl, um, you know, so we continue that population growth and we can stop the decline. I have two things to touch off of what you said. Um, a lot of challenges that I've faced as I'm getting more into communicating science with people that might not necessarily understand the language that we use or how we go through our methods on um, conducting our research, it's been a real struggle to really find a way to communicate it with people. Like I know you guys understand it a lot more than maybe the average person in a grocery store would understand because you guys have been around it. But trying to teach it to someone that's not necessarily in the science world is it's a struggle it's really especially if they're not in the wildlife field it's hard to communicate what your objective is and why your research is good and what you did is important and I find that a a real struggle with what I do and that's that's my whole job and then another thing is that being younger it's hard because you we need mentors we really need mentors through life, like not just with your personal life, but with going through your job, like understanding if there's someone that knows how to communicate that science that needs to be taught to, to younger people like me. And I know that's hard and it's not necessarily something that's like a cut and dry. This is how you do it. But just taking them out with you when you go to meetings or this is what happened today and this is who I communicated with and this is how we got to our end result or whatever objective we were trying to reach. Um, whether it's taken a year to do it or it's taken a few hours to do. I think that's really something that's really important that needs to be taught. Like we need mentors and I know it's hard and I know it puts a lot of time on mentors, but I think it's something that's really important because that'll just help move science and information along so much faster because then it's not something that we have to spend as much time trying to learn on our own. Um, It's something that we can learn from all of you. And I do. I think at times, I think we take advantage of our day-to-day actions like when we were out hunting. Um, You know, I'm going out there and Chad and I are setting the decoys, throwing this out, you know, and I was probably a little jumpy on you. And I said, grab those decoys. Well, you didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) I'm used to people that I'm with all the time. Everybody knows 
what we're doing. If there's two bags of decoys sitting there, some things in the back of the ranger, um, that has all been brought out to the field. It's all going out, mm -hmm. you know, and that was probably the first time you've been on a spot hunt like that, where we just pulled in with all the gear and we have to set it all up. And, um, I had to slow down and just think about it. I'm like, Oh, this is probably her first time setting up like this. Well, and explaining why, too. why and I needed to. <laughs> and so we set it up and, you know, and, and, you know, we made the comment where, um, you know, someone made a comment, well, oh, we should have a lot more decoys. Well, you know, in that situation, what we were in, um, you know, it was a small kind of pothole type, um, you know, system that we were hunting in and it doesn't take a lot of decoys in there, you know, so um, explaining that to you and you experiencing that, you'll, you'll remember that hunt. Oh, yeah. That was one of your first ones like that. And, you know, it was exciting with you, you know, when you ask questions and stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, you know, we do, um, you know, and, and I don't consider myself a mentor, uh, but at 52, I, I am now, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, I have someone in their young, you know, early 20s. Uh, and I remember when I was your age, you know, and I think back now over the last 30 years, I mean, I bet you I've had a half a dozen to eight mentors on various parts of farming and hunting and, you know, more so than my father, you know. But that's kind of what she's touching on is that when you were her age, you had already had Larry, your dad, your uncles who were well ingrained in the waterfowl culture and especially in this area. So by the time you're 21, you knew everything from concealment to decoys to dogs to even higher elevated things in the waterfowl world like leasing of land and farmers and networking and developing that 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 trust between landowners and hunter to go in and put a, a pit blind in one of their rice checks. Um, you had You had a good head start because of your mentoring of your family. And a lot of the, what you say touches me too, because I grew up in a hunting family. So we take it for granted. A lot of times is when we get around somebody like Mandy, we go out there and throw the spread out. And now I'm sitting here going, damn it. We could have done a better job of elevating the instructional part of what we were doing and not taking it for granted that Mandy knew what we were doing or why we were doing it or where the ducks were going to approach from or why we did motion decoys here and not here as far as the ripples go what are those ripples showing what does chocolate milk effect mean to water when the ducks are stirring up all of the sediments and you we maybe we should have been more thorough in our approach to that with somebody that's out there and so see now we're learning from you on how to be better mentor so it works both ways of like what you need what you want what your expectations are and it's not just we're out there and it's it almost becomes second fiddle or second nature, like riding a bike. It's another duck hunt, but we didn't stop to go, Oh, wait a minute. Does she even know why we're facing this way and not that way and all of that kind of stuff. So that shows us, Hey, we need to be, when you take on the responsibility of being a mentor or participating in a program like the new hunter program that CWA offers, we have to do a better job rock of the little things of why we did it. Like we wanted you to go scouting with us the night on Thursday night, you weren't in town yet, but we want to kind of show you what was going on and what the ducks were doing and how they were all, because if you would have saw what we saw where we hunted yesterday, you would have been like, wow, there's a lot of ducks in this area. Right. So, mm -hmm. but we should have, we need to do a better job of mentoring too, that we don't take it for granted. And that's a good point that you just brought up. So I don't know if an apology is in order, Rock, no, because you, no, no, you no. were in charge, Rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe from Rock. But it was, I said, <laughs> I, 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 you know, said I, I was a little jump 
jumpy on her in the morning. Oh, and it didn't bother me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because I, I just was, we were stressed and we were under pressure. And if we would have taken the time to slow down to think about what we were doing there, um, she's a student. And we are, I mean, we're professors of the trade now, you know, in a sense. Um, you know, we've, you know, have all the experience, you know, 40 years. I do. And um, from when I basically started, you know, on my own. So it is veteran hunter. Um, she's a new hunter and we need to slow down and think about that. And what, like you said, we learned as well. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure from here forward that when I'm in the field with someone to slow down because it is coming fast and it is exciting. Oh, yeah. And we get one opportunity on some mornings mm-hmm. to pass something on because we might not uh, be able to relive that same hunt again. You know, because everyone is different. Um, so uh, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad we're doing this podcast right now. We're kind of talking about this on open session. Because so many times we um, we don't get these opportunities. You know, yeah. we, get, we get tied up, you know, into doing other kinds of conversations and so forth. And right now we're reflecting back on yesterday. And... Um, a little bit of it we did, we did a, a better job with the cleaning of the birds. So I, that we, I think oh, that, yeah. that was pretty detailed, huh? No, I, I, you guys were great yesterday. Like I, I think it goes both ways. That if you want a mentor or you're just seeking help, you have to ask questions, and that's what I was trying to do yesterday. And sometimes that's hard. Like you don't know what to ask. Like I don't know. Maybe when I first started, I didn't. I wouldn't have known about worrying about the winds that the winds would bother the ducks and cause them to come down more often, or. Um, the sun uh, we had to worry about sunlight but it's it comes on both sides like we were worried about lunch a lot (laughs) that definitely (laughs) i don't know why i didn't have snacks from you guys but (laughs) yeah we we probably should have upped our snack game too yeah well we (laughs) only had a little bit of sausage sticks (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah those were good wild turkey yeah Um, what did you enjoy about the hunt i thought it was actually really great to like go out with both of you this time because I got to see your guys's relationship and kind of see what you guys look for when you go hunting because I'm used to going with a couple of guys that are the same age as me and I'm used to being on the water and not like in a blind around like I wouldn't call that a rice field but within that managed area I'm used to being like out in the delta and on a boat and so it was cool to experience a new type of hunting and see how all that works and is set up um and see different birds too because i'm used to like diving birds i'm not used to dabblers so that was really exciting for me what when you say out on the delta and all this what what are you are you a hunter now mandy when you're at home are you thinking about hunting a lot i know that when you turn 23 or you're 23 years old and you go hunting for the first time does it take over a part of your life have you got engulfed in it has it are you investing in it are you practicing it are you trying to elevate your game each season are you cooking the wild game are you and your fiance quinn you know doing all of the things that we do now are you looking forward to going hunting are you looking during the dog days of summer are you itching to for it to be fall and get out there has it gotten you that has it bit you that hard yet yeah it's i'm probably not as crazy as like you guys might be or he is where i'm watching videos all the time about it but i definitely i love cooking duck it's just so much fun to try and find all these different recipes um going and it's awesome because duck hunting takes you to so many new places like i just a couple weekends ago i went to klamath for the first time and i probably would have never gone there if it wasn't for duck hunting and that's something that i look forward to is going to these new places and seeing the new habitat and all the new um waterfowl or other like pheasants we went pheasant hunting while we were up there too 
and just seeing all of these new experiences that I wouldn't have had if I wasn't if I was a hunter I'm going to be honest like I would have not gone there probably heard about it but not actually visited so it's just nice to get you outdoors it keeps you happy and keeps your adrenaline up which gives you some good endorphins <laughs> but it's nice I, I love the camaraderie behind it like when we were out uh, yesterday, my friend Lee had texted me right before, and it's the guy that we always go out with, and he's like, you're going to do great. Just keep focused. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, thanks, Lee. Like, it's just so nice to see that from people, especially people my age, and they love taking out new people, and it's just, it's all just so exciting. So you're you're eating up with it. Oh, yeah. You are. Yeah. You love it. Yeah, And definitely. it happened at 23 years old. Yeah. And it's strengthening, it's giving you and Quinn more to do together. Oh, definitely. He loves it. He loves to tell people, and all these older guys are always like, I wish I had a girl like that. <laughs> that, that hunted with him? Yeah, that actually go out and love it. Like, and I, I, I could handle you probably one day a week in the duck blind. Yeah, that's probably about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's fun. It's nice to go out there, and like these guys love, I love when people love to teach you new things, and it just makes it so much more exciting. Um, and I enjoy it. It's, it's I thought I would have had a hard time when it comes to like cleaning ducks, and it's really not as bad as tell I thought us about it was that be. yesterday. Is, <laughs> is that a fast way to do it? Did you like that way? Is that I I didn't necessarily like the plucker. I it made like the I think it kind of broke down the fat a little bit. It made it a little oily, and I don't know if it's just the older plucker, and that's why. But I love I like to pluck ducks myself. Um, I like to keep their feathers, and I want to do some like arts and crafts with it. I want to use them. We're planning to use them in our wedding, so I think that'll be fun. Should, are we going to expect the invitation us to? Um, sorry, I didn't. I didn't hear that. What was that? <laughs> just you don't want rocking out of there. <laughs> it's going to be too I, crazy. I think you'd want the fowl if they're filming the uh, whole thing oh, for you. That no. saves you a little oh, bit of. Oh my god! <laughs> have you seen wedding crashers? Yes, I have. That's exactly <laughs> what would happen. Rock and I are going in. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, what about that part after the plucker, though? The axe and the wing on and, yeah, and the, the gutting and all that. Because we kept, we wanted to, we wanted to get the birds fully plucked, mm-hmm. not just breast them out. Yeah. We wanted to keep a wing on because you're taking them back with you. So with transportation, you need to keep a wing At on. Least one, yeah. So what? What did you? Were you a little bit sketchy with chopping a head off and a wing off and the legs off and reaching your hand up and gutting it out? And I, I would. This is embarrassing to say, but I wouldn't be as nervous if I hadn't have uh, accidentally stabbed myself with my my pocket knife at work a few weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. It was it was being stupid. Um, but no, the axe was awesome because I'm used to having to like we take like five minutes on just one bird if not longer and this was just like a quick two minutes especially with the axe because you have to break the joints a certain way to try and get the legs off and this thing's just awesome just go in there and chop it off it's awesome yeah i love it i'm gonna get one for sure you are yeah gerber oh yeah gerber not the baby food oh that's what i thought it was gerber nice (laughs) so rocky what are you what are you happy about yesterday what is let's we we don't need to sugarcoat the hunting right now in california is tough Tomorrow it looks like we might get a little change of scenery and weather, but you you have that many ducks around, but then Mother Nature doesn't cooperate with highs in the 70s still approaching Thanksgiving, and then you have no wind. We got the blue skies. The morning was a little bit chillier than it has been, but 
we didn't have a lot of action as far as a bunch of opportunity, mainly because of the weather, but two, because we were in a infested, a pintail infested area. And the limit of pintails is one. Touch on that real quick with the limit of pintails. Why is that only one in the Pacific Flyway when we could have killed a three, we could have killed seven bulls easy a piece oh, yesterday yeah. in a heartbeat. Why, what, what's that all about? And what, what were you thinking during the hunt? What made you, what, what stood out and made you happy from yesterday? Well, we're, um, our limit limits are our limits are regulated by the feds by the u.s fish and wildlife service and um a program that was developed about 15 years ago ago called the um adaptive harvest management program so um they are monitoring the uh the u.s the in northern hemisphere population of pintails um so they just don't look at flyways um, we're, we're working, CWA is working on that right now with the feds, uh, because the Pacific flyway does have a significant, uh, um, amount of the pintails across the entire U S all, all the flyways. Um, and so it's probably at the time where we probably need to go back and look at flyway per flyway with these. Um, and so they're looking at the science base right now that we've, um, developed. And they're going to look and we're hoping that if not next year, but the following year that we get back up to the two to three, because you saw the amount of pintails that we have in our flyway. Um, they're, 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 they're solid. I mean, that population is, um, is doing very well. Uh, and, um, we have a lot of drakes. So, um, hopefully the one, uh, is for this year. Uh, last year we could take two, uh, and so that made it much nicer. Uh, but that's kind of that on the pintail. Um, but uh, in whole, um, I look at what yesterday told me and showed me was to appreciate the weather that's coming. Okay, we we did go through the 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 entire process yesterday with the setup early in the morning. We did have, you know, Tyson in there with his cameras and so forth. We had no wind. We were trying to set birds up to put on film, and the birds would want to come in behind us or on the side of us. They would come in and slide. You know, it's just it's it, it's difficult conditions to make good video like what you know you needed to make a nice episode. Um, here tomorrow, the winds are going to change, and then we're going to start storming. The temperatures are going to drop and the birds are going to start, you know, responding much better to the call. We're going to get migrations now are going to come in from Klamath. You know, we're sitting on 376,000 ducks up in Klamath. Um, That's exciting right now just because of the past 15 years. We haven't had significant populations up there. Um, So we're going to get in, I feel, to a more trending duck season that we were used to um years past so you know you have to to have bad days to appreciate the good days as the saying goes (laughs) that's something i'm learning Um, and (laughs) we looked at yesterday is not a bad day i mean we've already had the conversation here that you know we had mandy in the blind and we were educating we were mentoring mandy on on waterfowling she's a, a a student and you know so uh, the good days are coming, um, and hopefully, Mandy, you know, you come back 
this season with us and uh, you hunt more, um, we would love to have you. Um, I personally, myself, um, you know, my days of guiding, uh, for money are, are gone. I'm, I'm not into that anymore. I'm more into taking new hunters out. I, I get way more satisfaction out of that. Um, we still have the guide service, but you know, I have my young guys doing that and, and that's their gig. They like to do that. So, um, but personally, I, I like doing exactly what I did with you yesterday and today. While we're on the subject of teaching rock, talk about with your experience, one of the easiest things to know about what wind does to waterfowl is that they're going to approach and set in to the wind. Okay, so you can know that if you get the wind at your back, they're going to go downwind of you and then turn upwind into the wind and set their wings and put their feet down and try to drop into the decoy spread. But besides that rock, besides the point of them, the wind lining them up, what does it do? What do you know tomorrow with the, the geese that we're going to be hunting tomorrow, you know, mainly specks and, you know, snows, what does wind do? Besides just lining them up, does the sense of urgency it gives them, does they don't fly as high? Do they get down quicker? Do they have, a, like what I just said, a sense of urgency to get to the ground faster because they don't like fighting those winds? It seems to me like they get in the wind and they roll with it during the migration. We all know that on a, north, a good stiff north wind. But why does a waterfowl hunter love and need the wind in addition to just lining the birds up? Well, tomorrow, you know, we're going to be in a... We're going to be using our, our full bodies, decoys, our Avery full bodies. And um, if I didn't have the wind, um, they would look, they would be just like little statues out there with no movement. Uh, tomorrow, the spread's going to come to life. And we're going to be shooting over approximately seven, 800 full bodies. And if I had a day that there was no wind, the, the geese would pick us apart really quick. And um, and flare out. So, so I, I mean, tomorrow the spread's going to look alive. Um, the wind will set the birds up. Um, it will blow them off of the big water, you know, so they won't want to be sitting on sheet water tomorrow on the refuges. They're going to want to push off and they're going to come to feed. Is there a reason for that? Well, they know that I, I think the pressure is going to be changing. Um, we are, we do have a pretty big system coming out of the North Pacific. And it's cold. So I suspect they're going to sense that. And they're going to want to come and start building up their energy um, because it is going to get cold. Um, we got, you know, we're down into freezing temps on Thursday. Um, and then up north, like I said, in Klamath, it's going to be snowing up there on Wednesday. So, and then they're going to go down into the single digits. And when it comes to big water, though, touch on that for Mandy, is they're sitting on big water. They, they, they roost, okay? So the roost is where a bird is going to sleep. They could use a smaller body of water in midday as a loaf to where they'll go feed in the morning when they come off the big water of the roost. And then after they feed, they might find a, a smaller body of water that's in the general vicinity of where they're feeding to where they don't have to fly as many miles to get back to the feed for their evening feed. But after that evening feed, the majority of those birds 
are going to go back to what you call the roost, a bigger body of water. They're going to raft up out in the middle. One, it protects them from predators, foxes, skunks, not really skunks at that age. Skunks are more of an egg dweller, but coyotes, they, they can't really get to them there. Um, so when those high winds come up rock, you can imagine what big water does, you know, when the waves start to come and the water starts to move and those birds are fighting that the water's splashing up on their wings. It makes them, un- I'm just talking what I would feel like. I would think they'd be uncomfortable out there. So they're going to fight, you know, they're going to get up out of that instead of fighting that high wind and those waves and that current and everything, they're going to get up out of that, either go seek smaller body with cover around it, or they're going to go out into a dry field and they're going to eat and, and they're, and it's going to, they're going to go eat anyway, but that high wind is going to keep them from staying on that big water longer or staying on there all day. And there's a lot of advantages that come with wind when you're a waterfowl hunter. So when you look at that day yesterday, we literally had no wind. And we're trying to we're trying to shoot birds that are have the ability to fly at four, five, six hundred yards high. They're up there. They don't need to come down. They really don't. And when they're when you when they're when they don't fight have to fight a wind or have that sense of urgency to get down, Rock, tell me if I'm wrong, but your decoys get real. You get ripple on the water when there's wind. So when they're up there on a day like yesterday, Manny, and they're looking at that water, it looks like glass or cement. Everything's still. There's no sediments being kicked around. So as a duck hunter, if you're going to hunt that yesterday, you want to use the jerk string. You want to get out and run your dog through the decoy spread. You want to walk through the decoy spread and stir up those sediments. So from the air, those birds looking down are like, well, it looks real. There's some ripples. There's some muddy water chocolate milk effect it looks like that's that what we would call quote unquote ducky but if you just set your decoys out there and and the wind's not blowing and you just say all right let's hunt you're gonna have a really hard time so wind is going to give you all of that advantage kicking them off the roost it's going to make them get down faster it's going to let you have the ability to set them up what rocky said of making your decoy spread come alive if you got a full body spread you i showed you the motion system yesterday how you put the tail feathers towards the the horizontal stick and they're going to waddle they're going to look like a bunch of duck or a bunch of geese moving around because feeding geese and ducks are stingy and they're very aggressive and they're very active so on water that sediment that i talk about even when ducks are sleeping they're moving their feet you know they're kind of staying in that water and they're moving their feet they might have their head tucked but there's always some kind of sediment or dirt or something that's being kicked up so you got to keep that kind of stuff in mind of when you're trying to create that perfect picture of what you're trying to show to those live birds you got to understand from way up there they can see everything so your concealment your shine your skin tone your face your hands when you're calling your dogs hide your gun shine um you could see how rock and i kept pulling that brush up from behind us and in front of us yesterday to break up the tops of us because you don't just want a big black hole you know it's probably we're i'm we're still in this teaching mode but i just think that wind is a huge thing um to to the advantage of a waterfowl hunter yeah rock yes that pretty much explains it Do, do, do you think do you think that you can add anything on top of that of as far as what else would have helped us yesterday i think if we would have had wind yesterday we would have been pretty pretty successful no if we would have had the wind we would have been extremely successful you know and also i mean but on top of that if you want it at all you you know you get colder temperatures it forces the birds to move around and feed more Um, but wind is first and foremost um you know for successful waterfowling in the environment that we hunted in yesterday so, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's November in California. These are, you know, normal temperatures. We're a Mediterranean climate. 
Um, and we are coming in, Thanksgiving's approaching, and the weather's changing. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. So, you know, there's some years you get an early, you know, an early winter that sets in. Uh, this is not one of them. We had our traditional Indian summers, and so we had a um, we had a longer summer than normal. But we had some crazy weather back in September. I mean, we had snow. We had snow down to 4,400 feet. You know, around the 20th of September. I don't ever see that. First time I think I ever remember that. It looked like winter was coming early, and it just stopped so in October. Would you say this is an abnormal season? Because this is only my second full season, and I keep hearing that that this is a weird season, a lot later season than other times. You mean the summer? Just know the duck season, the ducks haven't come down yet. Or is this pretty normal? Well, um, I, I'm I'm thinking that, you know, this year, uh, Klamath, um, you know, Klamath is going to get approximately thirty five to 40,000 acre feet of water. Um, the last, you know, few years, they've only received about 5,000 acre feet, if that. So um, the pumps are working up there. They're getting surface water into the refuge. They're holding 376,000 ducks right now. Um, those ducks, if it freezes up there, like it says right now on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they're here this weekend. Okay. Okay. And the refuges are going to see a big jump in populations down here. Okay. Um, Klamath is like what I consider now, Klamath is the bank. Okay. And um, the Sacramento Valley is about ready to take a withdrawal. And it's they're coming. And then more ducks are going to move out of Oregon and Washington. They're going to stage in Klamath. And, um, you know, and there'll be some birds that might come over from Idaho and drop into Klamath and stay there. And, and, you know, but I think this coming week we're going to see a lot of widgeon show up and some other smaller ducks. And then behind them we'll start seeing the mallards will come in. But is there more? Is is what she's saying and what she's hearing, is it true? Is it? Are there usually more ducks here yes. by Thanksgiving? Than yeah, there are this it, year? It, well, we like I said, we we've been used to a different um, migration. We, you know, with Klamath back online this summer and uh, this fall, uh, it's holding more birds up there. In the past uh, ten to fifteen years, those birds were overshooting Klamath because it was dry. Okay, um, so we're holding birds up there this year. Um, we did have our traditional September migrations that came in, a pintail and so forth. And that's why you saw so many pintail yesterday. No so widgeon many. in them. Um, <laughs> no I mean, widgeon. The, we saw four widgeon all day. Four widgeon. But you saw thousands and thousands, thousands. of pintail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the widgeon are coming. I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, we have a, we manage a ranch up north of here, up in Red Bluff. And there's 150 acres of rice on it. And we have cameras on there uh, that, you know, just to kind of see what's going on and what's migrating. And one day you'll see spoonies and teal. The next day you'll see widgeon. And then four or five days later, you'll see gadwall and some mallards. And it's just, it's a, it's a stopping point. You know, when they come out of the mountains, they hit Red Bluff and then they stop for a little bit and they kind of keep moving on some of the flocks. So these birds will migrate by species into the valley. They just they just don't, as a mixed bag, all come at one time. You know, they kind of trickle in. Um, so I'm excited this year just because um, I feel that we're probably more on a more traditional migration into the Sacramento Valley. 
my dad always said anything that you harvest in October and November, those are bonuses. Okay. Um, a lot of times those are what we've raised locally. Um, and so, um, we're about to start seeing migrations come down with the weather that I'm seeing in the forecast and which is exciting because if it does happen that way, then what we have been saying since we got the water at Klamath this year, um, that means that our, um, efforts are going to pay off for the Sacramento Valley because we're going to get fresh birds in on a, on a, on a, on a more constant basis. Does that get you excited hearing that, Mandy, being a new hunter, learning about the migration and weather and how everything's going to come together to push more birds into your area? Yeah, I'll keep picturing his canvas back. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you love the divers, what, huh? Oh, yeah. That's what, mostly what we do, but, man, we're we're pretty good at getting canvas back. And, yeah? Oh, they, they taste so good. They are a good-eating yeah, dog. Yeah, they're awesome. You keep the skin on and the fat on? Mm-hmm. I don't eat it. Quinn does, but I don't. <laughs> he but he crispies it up and mm-hmm. eats that part you don't oh, yeah. eat that part that's no, the best just, part of a canvas I'm, bag i'm weird about textures you just gotta ignore me when it comes so you don't to like food. oysters oh no it's disgusting sushi <laughs> <laughs> i like sushi well that's a weird texture well, well you eat I, the cook stuff probably huh but it took me a long time to used to like raw sushi though because i started out everything had to be fully deep fried and then now it's like it didn't take you long to get used to that gun yesterday talk to me a little bit about that m2 benelli did you like it oh yeah it was nice it was nice having i'm used to pumps so having an automatic was great um shot really nice it didn't have a huge kick on it um it was great yeah i think that's a big deal of hunting too is to be comfortable with your gear and have confidence in your gear and people hear us talking about it so they're always like well they're sponsored by these companies but these companies are the best at what they do. And that's why Rocky and I, we choose to shoot those combinations of the Benelli, whether it's the Super Black Eagle 3 and 12 gauge or the M2. I shoot a left-handed M220. He shoots a right-handed, that waterfowl edition that you saw yesterday. Then we have Black Cloud Ammo that you shot yesterday in 20 gauge. The Rob Roberts choke tube and the high-vis sight. If you have the ability to have all of that, to be a better marksman, to be a better shot, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want that combination to successfully and ethically harvest those ducks and dispatch of them quick? If the pattern's there for you, if you can pick your target up better with that sight, you squeeze that trigger, the black cloud and the engineering and science behind that performs through that choke tube, why wouldn't you want that? You know what I mean? It's like, why wouldn't you want to put yourself in the best predicament or best situation when that opportunity presents itself? Yeah, because that's the worst feeling of just crippling a duck. The worst. I, I hate that. So. And it happens. Oh, like, totally. I'm not saying that when you shoot that combination I just mentioned that it's oh, yeah. not going to happen. It will happen. But mm-hmm. then that's when you have a dog, yeah. a conservation tool to go uh, when Duff went in there. And Duff's a, Duff's a young dog, but he went into that big patch yesterday and that tool, that cripple came running out of there and, mm-hmm. he, and he ran after it across the water and we retrieved it. Oh, yeah. Whereas before, the human nose can't smell that that duck's in that patch. Mm-hmm. So that's another conservation tool as a dog that you and Quinn are probably going. I know you have oh, yeah. upland dogs, but now you <laughs> might move into a lab someday and yeah. get it trained for waterfowl. That's the Quinn plan. seems like he's got like he's got it figured out. He's got a plan of, of getting oh, all yeah. this handled. He's been doing this his whole life. And so I think that's what really helped me to get into it was having someone that's done this their whole life, knows what they like, and they love to teach it. And then especially having, I'm sure it's super exciting for him to have a significant other that's excited. I might not be as into it or as crazy as he is going every weekend every day on the weekend but at least I'm getting out there and I'm excited and I'll help him clean the birds when he comes home and I do my part um and so it's awesome it's it gets you excited to see when someone else is that excited about something new it really does so what do you think you guys are going to do with these ducks that you're bringing home um we usually don't keep them whole we usually will like uh 
rest him out and keep the leg attached. So I, I would, it'd be kind of cool if we could do like a beer can duck or something. That'd be hard. Yeah. I don't know. Some, you have a some type of whole duck. Yeah, we do. You got to get online and buy those thrones that they make. Those oh. beer, the, the, they, they make these thrones that you can pour a beer into or whatever liquid you want uh-huh. that you can put the duck car- carcass over the top of it. You know, right. It's kind of just like a beer can, yeah. but it keeps this, the, the juices in there really good and it oh. keeps it liquefied all the okay. way through the cook. Yeah. I'll have to stick that out. Yeah. Contact Christmas me. Out. Yeah. <laughs> the Gerber axe. Yep. Quinn, we're doing that. Quinn, don't, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Rock, we're running out of time because we have to go scout, but I want you both to touch on this real quick. I want, actually, Mandy, you go first, is if you're talking to somebody, let's say that you're on a national forum right now, and there's a bunch of girls out there in their 18 to 25 year range, and they are in college, or they're just out of college, or they're just going into college, and they're interested in this. Talk about what's the next move. What finds you somebody like, look up the CWA and what they're doing. Maybe mm-hmm. contact the CWA oh, yeah. because they're very forthcoming with their information. But tell me what the CWA means to you as a, as a 23-year-old woman in America, a woman huntress, a woman conservationist, a woman living off the land, living organically, cooking her game. That's a big deal to me. I don't think that there's a better or cooler lifestyle than living off the land and being a provider. Now you're providing for Quinn. You're going to bring some of these ducks maybe for the holidays for your family. Oh, yeah. Then if you guys move into kids someday, now you're going to be a mm-hmm. provider for those kids. Talk to me what that means to be a woman. What are you going to tell other women? What does the CWA mean to you? And just just give me a little bit of the highlights of what's happened the last uh, the last 24 months of your life. Yeah, I actually, it was easier for me because I had someone that was into hunting and wanted their significant other to be out there with them. But if you're a female and you don't have someone, you don't have a significant other, you can go find friends or there's groups like especially CWA that does the women's camps. And so I went and did um, CWA's bow camp. Uh, I forget what the acronym stands for. It's becoming an outdoor woman. Yes. Um, And they do all kinds of stuff. Like it's not just duck hunting. They go out there and we did like archery. They went and taught us to use a tiller handle on a boat. Like that was so cool. Um, They did like classic stuff. Like it wasn't, we were, learning how to like weave sandals or something, but it's just cool stuff like that. And it gets you excited because you meet other women that are into that. And maybe you can make a connection with them that they can help you go out there and teach you how to hunt like Holly Heiser or um, some of the other women that are out there that they all want to teach you. They all want more women out there. And it's, it's hard in the beginning because it's, it is expensive, but if you can find people that are willing to help you, or if there could be some type of program that could get started about helping give like used but not totally worn um, hunting gear or if you can find people that are getting rid of some of their stuff it that would help a lot like that was my hardest thing was purchasing a gun and purchasing waders like th- that's your most expensive expense but if you can get out there and you see the passion that everyone else has and you can learn from them and you find someone that's excited to teach you that that just makes it all worth it and it's it's so exciting Rock, is that ringing true to your ears when she talks like that with all of your passion and love you have for the CWA? Yeah, and I and I I want to let your you know your audience know again it's um, especially for the ladies up there. Um, there is that part of CWA. Uh, it's called Bow, uh, B O W, and it's becoming an outdoor woman. I highly recommend that you go look on our website and you find the link. And you get signed up for Bo because Bo, like in this season, they'll have um, a number of hunts. Uh, hunts are donated to Bo. 
uh, high-end duck clubs and so forth. The girls will uh, put hunts together, um, and um, it's a really good organization. We, we, we absorbed Bo into the California waterfowl framework about three years ago, I think, three, four years ago. And it's a great program, really is. It's an amazing program. Um, and there's um, some other um, gals that have an Instagram account called Women of Fowl. Um, they're doing things locally here as well and in other states. Um, they're really, you know, they're, they're promoting it um, pretty hard as well. So there is some um, opportunities, quite a few, for women to get involved in. Um, I'm really... I'm really excited about the programs um, because it does. It, it, it puts guys like myself and Chad in connection with you. Um, and, yeah. it, I mean, I it's it's pretty great. Don't you say, Chad? I think that it's uh, amazing. I think that the, the coolest thing about what we're talking about, and I'll end it by saying this, is that it works. We're sitting here looking at living proof that this girl was a, a and we talked about, I, I wanted to figure out how did it happen on campus and what Professor Edie's doing. And we are going to go visit the campus and listen to one of his speeches and one of his talks to his waterfowl biology class. But think about it, what we're saying here. It works. You're sitting on campus at one of the most liberal college institutions in America, that in Berkeley. But some of the most liberal schools in America are right here that don't even think about killing something or owning a gun or shooting a gun or learning gun safety or at least or even passing it down to somebody in a mentorship program. For sure, they're not thinking that way. Think about what we're doing right now. We're, lit we're looking at somebody that got the opportunity to fill out this application, was chosen to go to Birdhaven that Mr. Ken Bonnerson is generous enough to give his land and his time for this new hunter program supply performed by the California Waterfowl Association. And we're sitting here looking at a girl that's saying, I bought waders, I bought a boat, I learned how to use a tiller handle, I eat duck, I leave the skin on, I, 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 I know how to, to clean one now. We're looking at somebody that's living off of the land, pumping her body full of great food and protein, supplying it to Quinn or fiance and other people in their family and their community and their network. What is cooler than that? So right there, that is enough for somebody to go. The California Waterfowl Association is to be taking serious. They're legitimate in their cause, in their in their in their activation and how they orchestrate what they're doing. They instigate something, they follow through, and then they execute from their egg salvage to their new hunter program to now be or be the bow program becoming an outdoor woman their youth camps are amazing their banquets are amazing their the stuff they do with senator barry hill and Sen and, and congressman lamalfa everything that they're doing is legit so if people listen to this and they don't go search out cow waterfowl or go search out your instagram which is mandia m-a-n-d-i-a 315 on instagram or at merlot waterfowl m-e-r-l-o at merlot waterfowl on instagram merlowaterfowl.com Look at what these guys are doing in conjunction with the California waterfowl. Is the, is the CWA website calwaterfowl.org? Is it Cal, It's calwaterfowl.org, right? Or is it CaliforniaWaterfowlAssociation.org? Just calwaterfowl.org. You can also find them on Instagram at calwaterfowl. So what I'm trying to tell everybody out there, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're 18 or you're 55, get involved with the CWA because we're sitting here across this three and a half foot table looking at living proof that a 23 year old girl went out and aimed a gun at a bull sprig flying over a blind, killed it, almost teared up and then went home and cooked it. 
There's nothing cooler in life about that. Today's episode was brought to you by Badge Caps. Check them out for all of your hat needs. It was also brought to you by the things that we talked about today. Our friends at the California Waterfowl Association, President Mr. John Carlson, Scott Mueller, who's head of organ- and organizing their banquet program and all of their fundraising efforts, and the chairman of the board, Mr. Rock Merlo himself. That's just a couple of the people that are responsible for what's going on within the doors and within the state boundary of California with the CWA. And again, get involved because it's going to affect all hunters across this country in one way or the other. Mandy Augusta is living proof that the California Waterfowl Association's new hunter program freaking works. So get involved. Send the $35 in because they can't keep these initiatives and programs going without money from hunters. $35 isn't that much. I'll get you some. I'll send you something. Just call me if you need need to borrow some ammo or something. $35 isn't going to break the bank for the duck season. That might just be a couple pe- uh, breakfast pizzas at Casey's. That might be a breakfast burrito at a restaurant around California, save that money, send it into the CWA and get involved. Again, Mandy's Instagram is Mandia, M-A-N-D-I-A 315. Rocks is Merlot Waterfowl and California Waterfowl is at Cal Waterfowl. This is Chad Belding for the Fowl Life Podcast. Tom Rashashin, do me a favor, hit that button. This is the song by 2AM Logic, My Fowl Life. Thank you all very much. It's about in the air. It's about